Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Ria, founder of No Ties Consulting. And my name is Milos Novovic. I'm an associate professor of law. And hello, everybody who is grumpy today and who is into GDPR, whomever you might be. I have no idea because we do not want to know your personal data. Milos here and Ria here. Ria, how are you doing today? Oh my gosh, uh, I'll have to warn everybody that if I go into a coughing nightmare, no, you know, I'm going to edit that out if that happens. I've been better, thank you. Uh, I have a cold and I'm coughing and keeping myself and everybody else awake. And yeah, how about it's you? It's that time of the year. I can't say that I'm coughing yet, but I'm not at yeah. 100% either. But you know what? We need to find something cheerful to talk about to kind of get us back on track. And today's topic is the one which we've been putting off because it's so cool. What are we talking about? We are talking about DPAGs. Wait, what? What, what, what? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> DPAGs. DPAGs, yeah, it sounds like uh, a gangster rapping band or something. <laughs> but uh, no, let's, uh, let's call it DPA for this episode. We are talking about uh, data processing agreements. Oh God, this is my all-time favorite topic under the GDPR. You know my uh, secret love for contracts. It's well known. And I think that DPAs yeah, are just an amazing topic. <laughs> and we had the whole acronym debate on whether or not to call it uh, DPA or SA for a supervisory authority. But uh, And I use DPA, the EDPB does, and the supervisory authorities themselves. So I think um, uh, DPA for the authorities is fine. But for this episode, we are talking about data processing agreements, uh, which are interestingly also called SCCs in the GDPR. We had an earlier episode on that. You remember yeah. that standard confusing yes, process? Yes, I remember. That was one of our first episodes. And I was absolutely confused by the fact that there are SECs for Chapter 5 and then there are SECs which can be, uh, which are DPAs. Let's call it that. Yeah. So definitely still confusing. But let's just talk about DPAs, Article 28. <laughs> uh, we all know that you need to have sufficient guarantees when picking a processor. Due diligence is another topic that we need to talk about in depth. But you need a contract Huge in place, topic. right? And uh, I suppose my first question yes. to you is, uh, what's your kind of take on this article as such? Uh, how many data processing agreements should one have? Is it possible to get an overview? Oh my gosh, you, you just uh, asked all the questions and this is such a huge topic. I'm not sure we're going to cover all of it, especially the practical side of it that you mentioned last there. How are we going to keep track of everything? And just to start with last first then, I used to recommend to have as much information as possible in the ROPA uh, as per Article 30. But the ROPA has grown into this monstrosity. So I'm not sure that I'm going to keep that recommendation, actually. So uh, let's, let's do an episode on uh, ROPAs as well. But the important thing is that if a supervisory authority comes knocking on your door, you have to be able to demonstrate that you have these contracts in place. So as long as you can do that, do a, an acid test today, how quickly can we demonstrate to the DPA that we actually, sorry, have DPAs in place? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that is a great point because I think that for DPAs, there are some things which are kind of really low-hanging fruit. Is your consent fine? 
do you have records of processing? And then it's super easy for them to check, hey, do you have DPAs? So uh, I think that it's super important to actually have all of them on record because not having them is going Mm. to indicate non-compliance and make a thousand other problems down the road. But I think if you need to have something in place, it is certainly a collection of your own Mm. DPAs. I have some horror stories there. Like I know uh, about a couple of organizations which uh, struggled with contracts in general. And no wonder, because you have so many contracts. And uh, from what I've heard, there was also a very major company which uh, actually one time got into a legal dispute with another one and had to ask their lawyers to send them contracts over. So don't be those people. Oh my gosh, you remind me of another uh, war story of my own that's uh, not uncommon, unfortunately, where you have major corporations imposing their DPAs onto smaller IT development agencies and marketing agencies and whatnot with absolutely ridiculous terms added into the data processing agreement that I feel should never be part of a DPA in the first place. So... um, Reading those agreements thoroughly, I think, is uh, hugely important. I know, I know, nobody reads terms or privacy notices or anything. But if you are a processor and you are being forced to sign others' DPAs, then you have to spend the time on uh, just checking what those terms actually stipulate. Well, I'm going to fight you on that one and pretty much immediately. So processors, right? (laughs) Say that I have thousands of controllers as my customer. Of course, I want to standardize. So uh, that is the first step. The second step, additional terms. Well, nothing in the GDPR about that. If I want to charge for audits, why why wouldn't I be able mm. to? And honestly, I see perfectly the logic behind that. Uh, say Google, no, let's take a small processor, like a Norwegian company offering cloud storage. It's entirely reasonable for them to have standardized terms, and it's entirely reasonable for them to actually add contractual clauses, so not GDPR clauses, in which they, again, charge for audits or uh, stipulate uh, things like liability um, costs, it didn't identifications i can never pronounce that uh, and other stuff so mm. uh, it's tough for controllers but it's tough for processors as well but i what are you fighting me on i absolutely agree with everything <laughs> yeah, that you said now. i'm sorry because <laughs> because uh, so my my point was that major uh, companies that are acting as controllers are requiring smaller processors to sign their ridiculous uh, DPAs. So uh, I, we absolutely align on that. And on your second point on uh, the commercial um, conditions that you can add to a DPA, absolutely agree on that as well. And of course, there, there's a threshold here that I haven't seen been defined by anybody in terms of, so the processor has to assist the controller to a certain degree. And I don't think you can add a price for everything that you do under 28.3. But for anything that's, you know, beyond what's reasonable, that amazing word reasonable, that is always, you know, going to be up for interpretation. But I think there has to be a baseline level of assistance from the processor. And then beyond what's reasonable, 
they should be able to actually charge their customers for that. So we agree a thousand percent. Apparently I was just grumpy. We filed this under Miller Stupid in the Miller Stupid file, which is growing uh, by each time we speak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, be that as it may. So usually whichever side you're negotiating from, uh, what do you usually find to be super difficult? Because for me, uh, the difficulties start from the very beginning and the role assessment and we get so much pushback uh, when negotiating. No, no, we're joint controllers. No, no, we are an independent controller. We don't need a DPA. Um, is that something that you think tends to be a bit problematic in practice? Absolutely. I think role assessments under the GDPR is perhaps the trickiest area of the entire GDPR, at least in my experience, because determining when you are a controller on your own, if you're a joint controller, can be a nightmare in itself. But then determining if you are a joint controller uh, or a processor, and that should be pretty clear cut and the role assessment is so hugely important, folks, because it's just it determines what your requirements are and your duties are as per the GDPR. So there's a huge difference if you are a controller or a processor. So getting that right from the uh, get go is um, I cannot state how important that is. Absolutely. One hundred percent. And this is something that I and many struggle with that as well. Yeah. And like you say, the requirements are going to differ, right? You do not need a DPA if you're independent controllers. And I've really seen a lot of discussions back and forth on this one. People push for different roles, obviously, because of liability. And just keep in mind, to, pro tip number one, keep in mind that if you call yourself a controller, that does not a controller make out of you, nor does it make a processor if you just say that. And we've seen that with Google's agreements. We've seen that with smaller agreements as well. So getting the role straight, first step. But there, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, it's just uh, me thinking when we start with role assessments, even if we agree that we're processors, there's still going to be a bunch of stuff to clarify, right? Yeah, and just going through Article 28.3, step by step, making sure that you have actually included all of the uh, requirements there. And you know, I, I've gone a bit back and forth on this as well in terms of what I recommend. And um, the most, what I see now after doing so much due diligence, working with so many processors, doing so much due diligence myself, without a doubt, my recommendation would be to make it easy for people like me. Make it easy for those who are doing due diligence on you as a processor. Uh, you know, I hate to say a checkbox uh, exercise, but in some ways it is. Go through each for all of the letters in 283 to make sure that you actually have included that. Even in that order, although it's uh, not the most logical order, just making sure that you have uh, you have all of that in place. And this brings us to a very interesting point because the EDPB in their controller process guidelines, they um, say that uh, the processing agreement should not merely restate the provisions of the GDPR. Rather, it should include more specific concrete information. So I get that latter point, but why couldn't we just restate the provisions? You know, the, the contract expert, I leave it to you That's to answer. That's just pure stupidity. 
Honestly, that's just pure stupidity. So the goal, obviously, of a data processing agreement is to regulate these things. How you want to regulate them is up to you. Yes, there are things which you have to tweak, and those are found uh, in Article 28 that you need to set out the scope, what kind of personal data is going to be processed, and fine, put that in an annex. But there is absolutely no legal obligation whatsoever to add more details into what's in 28.3. In fact, I've actually spent tons of time on this, so I tried to make a one-page mini-DPA uh, where I think I used font size 10, uh, fit in everything from Article 28.3, because there are no requirements for you to make a contract in certain order. There are no requirements for you to add anything to that contract as long as you can prove that the controller, uh, sorry, that the processor is bound by it. So I see no basis whatsoever for uh, EDPB to state this. Whom do they cite? Well, themselves, obviously. So the I see what they want. They want a document mm-hmm. detailing everything, but it's up for the parties to decide how they want to do that. And uh, I think that there is another thing there, yeah. right? Uh, you should probably ensure that there are necessary signatures which are included in the legal act. What the hell? Like, literally, what the hell? Yeah. So, Number one, what says that you need to sign a contract? You don't have to sign a DPA. In the year 2000, the e-commerce directive told us, member states shall ensure that electronic contracts are the same as other contracts. So uh, what are we talking about here? And who gives them the authority to say something like this? Uh, And I actually had people, you know, in class, um, like executive class, so for people who are already working with this, asking me, uh, I have a DPA, but it's probably not valid. I didn't get a signature. I'm just thinking, like, my God. No, you know what? Go and knock on Microsoft's yeah. door and get somebody to come out and to bring a pen, a fountain pen, preferably, and to sign the contract with you. <laughs> What's the logic? Yeah, and, and, and this brings us to another point. In what form must the DPA be in? And you can have it as a standalone agreement and you can choose to sign it if you want to. If you do that, do make sure that those signatures are on those pages because people have been fined for not having a, a compliant DPA because they chose to add signature boxes, but only one party had actually signed it. So I would be uh, a bit wary about that as well. That's insane. But you can have it as a standalone agreement. It can be as part uh, uh, an addendum. This is what I usually recommend. You have the terms and then you have the DPA as an addendum that is automatically incorporated into the terms when you sign those or agree to those. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No doubt about that because you can also change the DPA without changing the main contract and vice versa. Uh, You could still do it, honestly, uh, regardless, but it's better for documentation. And uh, signatures, go to court. Just ask them to to kind of challenge a decision uh, like that. So that makes very little sense. But you brought up the main agreement, and that is a fantastic point. I also had another question in class which went along the lines of uh, our processor is saying that we have a main agreement in place. Are they going to delete the data if we terminate the main agreement? Obviously, the answer is yes, a processor has to delete all the data, uh, but you still do have to pay uh, for any breach of the main contract. So we have to separate the two, right? So if you terminate the main agreement, you have also terminated the DPA and processors have to pay. 
sorry, you need to pay for the main agreement uh, damages, but processors must delete personal data. And they can't hold this data hostage until you have paid whatever you've paid for the main agreement. Uh, so that is that is something which is also important to stress, yeah. separate between the two. And the uh, I think it was a Spanish DPA that actually fined a processor for withholding uh, personal data because they had a legal dispute with the controller. And this is uh, an area where I see uh, some SaaS uh, processors also uh, sin on the GDPR because they leave it up to the controller to proactively ask them to delete the data after the end of the provision of the services, whereas they should just actively make sure of that themselves. So they they sit around on huge amounts of personal data uh, from controllers that left for years ago, and they have absolutely no uh, reason or legal grounds to to sit on that data. Actually, they are becoming controllers of that data, would be my claim. Yeah, I was thinking the same. Then they are controllers, no doubt about that. But... Uh, they should delete it, yes, when the service is terminated and absolutely not before that. That makes them controllers too. I think that's that's pretty clear-cut in that sense. Uh, we had another thing yeah. that the EDPB said, which is that a processor can't modify the DPA by publishing like an updated version. I think that, again, look, the main thing I would say to take away is, number one, separate uh, logically in your head between the main agreement and the DPA, and preferably physically. But also within the DPA itself, you need to understand that it's a contract. Uh, What applies to it? National contract law. How can it be changed? It, again, depends under the national law. Can you change it by just publishing an update. In principle, yes, you can modify contracts unilaterally. Your bank can increase your uh, interest rates. There are, of course, exceptions, but uh, how many people have received we've updated our terms of service emails? It's not problematic in itself as long as the controller has control. So if they change the prices for audits... Yeah, and, uh, and get the information. Yeah, of course. Of course. So I don't think that's too tricky, but so if we look at uh, the um, so if we look at the um, other uh, letters of uh, twenty eight uh, three, let's just uh, look at some of them uh, quickly. The instructions part I think is uh, really interesting, and uh, one former client they had agreed with their controller customer that when they moved a Trello card from one status to another, that was considered an instruction. And, you know, that in itself might not be problematic. But the problem is when you then end up in a legal dispute, for example, and you have to scrutinize what those instructions actually given uh, to the uh, processor, then it's pretty hard to to prove that with uh, we moved our Trello card. So my recommendation would be always to document your instructions as you are required to, but make sure that you have it in a form of a confirmed email, for example, from the controller. Well, I'd say in principle, they're free to give instructions however they want, but you, you're right, documentation should be there. There should be some kind of log of transactions. I don't know if Trello can log that, but absolutely, there should be a log. At the same time, you could give them instructions like if uh, if you see me by dancing at 3 a.m. in the morning, that means you shall delete personal data. 
nothing problematic, then make sure to record yourself dancing, right? I guess that would be the takeaway there. Yeah, but it has to be documented. So that is uh, an actual requirement. Film yourself while you dance. Yes, agreed, fully agreed. And then on confidentiality, I think that is a pretty easy fix because then you can just include in your general personal contracts, uh, just make sure that those include something or phrasing around personal data. Yeah, agreed. So another thing that I uh, often see some confusion around is, um, you know, the assistance to the controller and especially on DSRs. So when you get a data subject access request, for example, should the processor or must the processor deal with those? And absolutely no, they do not have to. They are under no obligation to uh, respond to data subject access requests and they can, uh, but they should absolutely agree on how to deal with those because they are required to to assist the controller with it but even the danish dpa they wrote in one of their decision uh, related to trust pilot that uh, as per articles 12 and 15 it's not the responsibility of the processor but the data controller to handle and respond to a request for access just make sure that you have an understanding with the controller on how to actually deal with those Fully agreed. So there, once again, we need a separation between contracts and the GDPR. Uh, under the GDPR, no obligation for the processor to actually do it. If they fail to respond to a data subject request, they could be in breach of contract with a controller who could then sue them for breach of contract in that part. But no GDPR fines for something like that. And there have been actually uh, fines uh, every now and then to processors. Uh, also concretely related to uh, violating 28.3. I've seen fines from the Spanish, Greek, Italian, um, the one from Greece, and we oh, one here in Norway. That was uh, to uh, Fadda, which is a road toll company. They were fined that 5 million Norwegian krona, which is uh, now, I think, a bit more than, no, a bit less than 500,000 euros. Uh, and that pertained to several violations, including transfers to China of uh, car license plates, but also related to what the DPA, uh, the Data Protection Authority, caused uncertainty around the data processing agreement, uh, which was undated. And uh, it seemed they weren't really sure if there were uh, was a data processing agreement in place here. You do have to document that as a controller, in all fairness. Uh, that being said, uh, there are limits as to how reasonable it is to find out uh, at which exact time point it was concluded, as we talked about signatures and stuff. So I think that uh, we're back to your advice. Download everything, save everything, review. Do you actually have DPAs in place? Yeah. And then aside from assisting the controller with uh, with data subject requests, there are also DPIAs. We've seen that some big controllers have published those. So for instance, Microsoft has one, Google has one. I think tip from my side would be if you are banging your head against the wall to do a DPIA on one of the big services, check maybe it's already out there. You do need to update it for your own situation, but you should still build upon what is offered to you by processor. Yeah, and that's another thing that could actually be some commercial language around in terms of to what extent should the processor assist with this. Definitely. 
So if they do offer something, dive deep into that. Uh, I haven't really heard about somebody doing like physical audits and auditing processors uh, directly. I've seen, and we've all seen those questionnaires pertaining to the last letter. Uh, what am I forgetting from Article 28? There was something more in there as well. So you just mentioned one of the biggest things in data processing agreements, and that is exactly on audits, including inspections. And I did my deep dive into all of the drafts of the GDPR text before it was finally concluded. And uh, this has been going back and forth several times. And the earlier drafts even included the phrasing physical on-site audits. So uh, what do you think? Should we uh, travel to uh, the US and uh, inspect Google's headquarters? Well, I think it would be fun. Uh, I do not know how I would necessarily uh, inspect GDPR compliance. Like, do I bring my, uh, what do I bring? My computer and then just like directly plug into Google's systems. Uh, And I think that raises actually significant concerns about security. It raises costs. Uh, for everybody involved. So I do not see the benefit of physical instructions, uh, sorry, inspections. I've seen also in some other pieces of legislation, something along those lines mentioned, uh, especially that the authorities can do something like that. For me, it makes sense that authorities can, but even then it's limited. Like, what are you going to check physically? Yeah, I I think this is one of the provisions in the GDPR that shows that it's completely unrealistic to expect that. Uh, You're never going to get access to the headquarters of most processors. And it's, uh, you know, I don't really understand why they added the the on-site or not on-site, but the uh, inspections part there. And whether or not to have, because most DPAs that I've seen they have tweaked that language to ensure that the controller uh, cannot just mandate any uh, auditor to to do the uh, audits and the inspections. So to protect themselves from, uh, you know, competition, for example, which uh, makes absolute sense. So you have this this challenge here, uh, balancing, okay, can we pass the checkbox exercise where you tick all of the boxes, including on the audit part, or should we be more um, selective to be able to protect our business? And I think this is really difficult because you want to have that stamp of approval on your DPA saying that you absolutely adhere to all of the requirements and you cannot do that if you tweak the audit bit. So um, I'd say that it'll have to be uh, a strategic choice on the part of the processor whether or not they want to go with the actual language. And I know people are going to be really upset that I'm... I'm uh, suggesting that you can sort of tweak the legality here because that's what you do but uh, in the real world where where everybody is uh, trying to run a business this is how it is but i don't think it's problematic to tweak the language Uh, you say audits inspections you know what we're going to have third-party audits we will publish those reports this is how we allow for you to actually see how our obligations are being complied with. Because the point of these audits and inspections is to primarily ensure that the processor is not breaching the GDPR. So I think that there are some creative solutions there. We can make a list. (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's uh, the tricky part uh, pertains to the mandated by uh, the controller part. So uh, if you are actually as the processor mandating the uh, the uh, auditor, that could be problematic. But again, I think this is uh, sort of the discussion. Uh, does the GDPR apply when I receive a physical business card? It's not something that I, I've seen being leveraged in practice. So uh, when we work with the GDPR, let's focus on uh, the most realistic scenarios and uh, take a pragmatic approach. But this is actually really realistic because most big companies actually just publish those auditing reports, right? So I think that that is, uh, that is how this is usually interpreted and how they deal uh, with it. It would be interesting to see some decisions there. Uh, we have a bunch of other stuff to talk about here, including those agreements where processors say, you instruct us, right? So we need to dive into those as well. But I think that is a topic for another day. Yes, it is for sure. So, you know, I have so many other things to share here. I had a list of uh, fines uh, that I have uh, dug up on, uh, on the part of processors. So I will have to revisit this uh, in a different episode. Most certainly so. And, you know, on someday we will maybe even dare to go into joint controllership agreements. <laughs> That's going to be a long That's one. That's going to be a long one. Five part one, like meta one. <laughs> so uh, thank you for today. This is actually a very nice dive into data processing agreements because I think that they are something that everybody is talking about. Uh, and I think there is no real way of standardizing them, but we can keep trying in a very grumpy way. We will for sure. And the next time I forgot to mention that I have uh, compared uh, several templates and uh, SCCs and looked at uh, challenging provisions versus uh, good phrasings of stuff. So we definitely have to do a follow up episode. But for now, thank you so much and we'll catch you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.